I imagine that you have said at some point in your life, uh, recently or in the past, to someone, this has all been a big misunderstanding. Now, that could be something inconsequential. Uh, That could mean something as trivial as you ordered pizza with pepperoni and they brought you pizza with peppers. Some of you misunderstand me. I actually think I talk a lot slower than I used to talk when I first came here. Misunderstandings can be consequential. We know this. That nation misunderstood that nation's intentions. And so that nation sent troops and tanks into that nation's country. It can result in disaster. I mean, how many kids here have ever heard your parents say to you, I want you to understand me clearly? Hands raised. We have a taker. A few takers. You know why that is? Because so often you tell us, I didn't understand what you said, and we don't believe you. Misunderstandings happen, don't they? There's misunderstandings in this world. And then there are mis understandings. There were times in Jesus' own life and ministry when he was opposed, not because he was misunderstood, but because he was understood clearly for what he was saying. Jesus is remarkable in this way, isn't he? When you read him, he, he reveals himself at times, and at times he conceals himself. He would confound his hearers He could confuse his hearers. There was a great rocker and theologian at times, Bob Dylan, and he wrote this song called The Times They Are A-Changing. And it was a song about the generational shifts in his, when he was at his peak. And he said this to the world at that time. He said, don't criticize what you don't understand. That would have been good counsel for the Pharisees because they keep misunderstanding Jesus and yet they keep criticizing Jesus. And they're the ones as the religious leaders who should have understood him the best. When you think about misunderstanding, there is nothing in your life that is more consequential than whether you understand or you misunderstand Jesus. And not just that whether you believe in him. So this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. John 8, 12 through 30. If you have any misunderstanding about what's written on page 15 in your bulletin, talk to me after the service. Let's go through the passage. I'll read the passage, and then we'll work through it. John 8, beginning in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. 
For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Here's the main point in this passage. Eternity hangs on understanding Jesus. Eternity hangs on understanding Jesus. That you might believe in him and find life in his name. That you might believe in him and find life in his name. So here's what you can write on your, if you're taking notes, you can write, they misunderstand. They misunderstand. And I'm going to show you as we walk through this five ways Jesus is misunderstood in this passage. They misunderstand. And I'm going to give you five ways they misunderstand Jesus as we work through this. we come to this text, we're still in the Feast of Booths. Remember, in the fullness of that great context of a water ritual, at the very end of the Feast of Booths, Jesus said, I am living water. This was that festival, weekly, God's people looked back, they remembered how their God delivered them from Egypt. They lived in tents. And one of the ways they were also to look back and remember Doug mentioned this in the foundations class this morning, was the pillar of fire. 
that they were guided by as they went across the wilderness. At the end of the Feast of Booths, the temple would be especially brightly illuminated. So it's within that context and world of meaning that Jesus again declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's another I am statement in this gospel. God's people would have understood that God's servant, Isaiah, would bring light to the world. His salvation would extend to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is clearly making a claim here that is unmistakable. But the Pharisees don't understand. And so here's their first misunderstanding. They misunderstand, number one, Jesus' authority. They misunderstand Jesus' authority. In response to Jesus declaring openly to a crowd, I'm the light of the world, the Pharisees, verse 13, dismiss it. Now, they do so based on their law. They're referring here to Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, which says that a charge can only be upheld, established, if there's two or three witnesses. Jesus is not in a court of law here, but they want to press Jesus. You cannot make a claim like that out of nowhere. You, Jesus, need someone else to validate you. You, Jesus, need someone else to speak for you. Jesus is clear. Even if he is bearing witness about himself, his testimony is true. And he grounds that, he bases that in the fact that you don't know. He knows where he's coming from and where he's going. So what he's saying is what he's saying is true is because what he says comes with the authority of the Father. Now, for our doctrine of God, this is necessary. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells bodily. So we're starting to learn about our triune God. Our triune God, each person is distinct, but never apart. We're different. Human beings, we're distinct, and we're always apart, separate. When Jesus speaks, he's speaking with the authority of the Father because the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. When he bears witness about himself, his testimony is born with the authority of the Father. Very simply, listen to Jesus. Believe what he says. The authority with which he speaks because it comes with the fullness and the authority of God. The Pharisees do not understand this. They're only engaged with Jesus at a horizontal level, just about the credibility of his testimony. So they misunderstand the authority of Jesus' own testimony, the witness he's bearing about himself. And so his reason for the authority, the truthfulness of his testimony, is where he comes from and where he's going. He comes from the heavenly world where they've never been. He will return to the Father 
they know nothing about these things. He's the man from heaven. And he's giving testimony about who he is. He is the one man who comes into the world from an inaccessible realm where we cannot get to. And so the only way we know something of that is if someone comes in and discloses that to us. Here, Jesus, the one from heaven, is the lone expert about this land. And yet the Pharisees think they are the experts. So strangely, they think Jesus needs their validation. We're the gatekeepers, Jesus. You must come through us, our gate, to have religious authority among the people. And the irony here, the Pharisees and the way they engage Jesus is they think they're putting Jesus on trial. Jesus is putting them on trial. Jesus is bearing witness about realities of the world that they know nothing of. So human beings can confess who Jesus is, but make no mistake, we never validate who Jesus is. His authority is bound up in who he is as God the Son in the flesh. But is not Jesus' testimony misunderstood today? To accept the witness that Jesus is bearing about himself is not to just understand what he's saying. Plenty of people actually understand what he's claiming. To accept it is to live under his authority. They misunderstand his testimony because they misunderstand his authority. They want human witnesses. When he comes with the witness of the Godhead, deep in all of our hearts is either the resistance to the authority of Jesus or the temptation to resist the authority of Jesus. To doubt the goodness of his word, his person. So if you're not a Christian, that works itself out in denying who he is as the son or in failing to entrust yourself to him, to obey him by faith. If you're a Christian, what's our struggle? It's doubting his good word, which is always authoritative and good for our lives. We lessen him. We lessen what the call to discipleship is. We easily can create a Christian life in which we are comfortable with certain sin, comfortable with certain idols. What are ways you know you're lessening the authority of Jesus in your life? You're lessening who he is in his person. I mean, really practically, just thinking about my own life, it can express itself in something like worry. And in worry... What we're saying is effectively, whether we say it out loud, is Jesus is not in control. Or the control he does have, it's not good. And I can't trust it. And so we worry because we want to control. And we don't trust his control. And we hate our inability to control what we don't know is coming. 
So we have an unwillingness to rest in his good authority. How are you lessening Jesus in your life this morning? I think one way to nail down, to think about your own idols is to poke around in your own heart and then think about what you think you deserve right now that you're not getting. What are you working hard to protect? You know you're working hard to protect that you you don't want the risen Christ to take away. They could be good things, but maybe you've made them ultimate things. Jesus' testimony is true. He has authority like no one else. He's like us. He's unlike us. His authority very simply is. He doesn't need human validation. They don't sit in judgment over Jesus. He ultimately is sitting in judgment over them. And that's the second thing they misunderstand. They misunderstand, number two, Jesus' judgment. So Jesus' authority and now Jesus' judgment. What's wrong with their judgment? Verse 15, they judge according to the flesh. They they judge according to superficial and worldly criteria. They, They judge, they make judgments according to the values of this world. When Jesus says here he misjudges or he judges no one, he's not saying I don't judge as in this passage. He's saying I don't judge in the way that you do, superficially, according to this world. Jesus right here is rendering evaluations. He's he's judging. He's doing that with the Pharisees. Now why is his judgment and his testimony true? Verse 16 and 17. Because he and the Father bear witness about himself. He and the Father, Father who sent him, agree in their judgment. It wasn't insignificant that the law of Moses called for two or three witnesses. They knew it called for that. Jesus knew it called for that. But their judgments of him are not according to ultimate reality. It's according to the flesh. They don't understand that Jesus comes with the full agreement and authority of the Father. And what's ironic is they, the so-called experts of the law, have missed the point of the law. By his testimony, he bore witness about himself and the Father who sent him. And based on this, they should have accepted his testimony. But they're superficial. And even as he does not judge superficially... He's making judgments, isn't he, about the Pharisees. They fail to understand. They misunderstand the very law. They seek to use against Jesus is about Jesus. Finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It was given so that when Jesus comes into the world, they would recognize him. Who's on trial here? Jesus or the Pharisees? It's Jesus in one sense. In the ultimate sense, it's the Pharisees. In the ultimate sense, it's the whole world. We live in a world that trains us constantly to judge, to make judgments. I mean, just think about the culture we live in right now. 
You made judgments this week about restaurants, about their food or their service. You made judgments about the grocery store, about this or that. Some of you are judging me right now, and you know it. We live in a world that so quickly says judgment is wrong, and yet we judge constantly. And a world that knows so little about the Bible knows this verse, judge not, lest you be judged. Never mind the fact that only a few verses later, Jesus makes very serious judgments against those he's speaking to. So strange, isn't it, that a world that doesn't want judgment is so judgmental. Be careful that you don't start to think you're the ultimate judge. You realize every time you sit in a room like this, this is a sobering thought that as the word goes forward, it's accomplishing its purposes. For those of you who are receiving this word by faith, it is working toward your salvation and your sanctification. For those of you who are hardening your heart, it's working toward your judgment. Do not ever think that you're the ultimate judge. I remember uh, just last week I was away, I was in Egypt, and uh, was able to spend time with pastors, and I was uh, taken aback. A pastor asked in a question and answer time, how do we know which parts of the Bible are absolute truth, ultimate truth, and how do we know which parts of the Bible are relative truth? Bit surprised? Because behind that question is a view of God's word that it isn't trustworthy in every part. And so that pastor cannot stand up in front of God's people and tell them what God's word says is true. And you can base your life on it. This world too easily thinks it stands in judgment over Jesus and over his word. But the reality is, as the word goes forward, we're not standing in judgment over it. It is in judgment over us. For grace and sanctification or for judgment. So receive the word by faith. Trust. Jesus is grounding the credibility of his testimony and his judgment based in the reality that it comes on the authority of his own witness and the Father who has sent him. But the Pharisees misunderstand again. This time they misunderstand Jesus' Father. They misunderstand Jesus' Father. He's speaking to them about a unique relationship as the son that he is in with the father from eternity to eternity. He is now, before their very eyes, the focal point of God's revelation of himself to the world. And they are so blind, they can only ask him, verse 19, where is your father? They're meant to be teachers of divinity. They don't see divinity in front of them. They're men of this world who see and who judge in worldly, fleshly ways. And what's the proof? From the mouth of Jesus, they don't know Jesus. He's clear. If they knew him, they knew Jesus, they would know his father. The only way to the father is through Jesus. And you've misjudged, you've misunderstood, you've rejected his testimony. And his judgment. Brothers and sisters, in coming to Jesus by faith, you've come to the Father. You are received by the Father. 
in Jesus, this is mind-blowing, you are as entitled to ask of the Father and must be as certain of the love of the Father as the Son. You're in him. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Such, there is not a God in heaven who is not like Jesus. Like Jesus, your true Father is in heaven. And so the Father, the Son, mean for you to live in the confidence Jesus is your elder brother and his Father is your Father. Now think for a second about who your Father is. His authority over the world. He doesn't just desire to give good gifts. He has the ability to give good gifts. Have you misunderstood the Father? He's not the begrudging old curmudgeon. That's a harder word. Behind the very willing Jesus, the Son. The Son reveals the Father. He's acting in his incarnation in obedience to the Father. The Father and the Son purposed and planned for a people so that the Son could ensure that a people relate to the Father as Father. If you know Jesus, you only know him because the Father joyfully, willingly has drawn you in. Do not ever think that you forced your way into the family unwanted. You've been drawn in joy. That's the only way adoption works, isn't it? A child can force themselves onto a family. They're adopted in. So if you misunderstand this, you're misunderstanding the heart of the gospel. J.I. Packer has written a classic work called Knowing God. And chapter 19 of that book had a dramatic impact on me. I want to read just a few sentences from it for you. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. How well do you understand Christianity? How well do you, how much do you make of being God's son? He being your father. You know this. Sometimes someone has an important father and they just live off of that. For better or for worse. How much more for you, Christian? Remind yourself who your father is regularly. How for you he is. Hearing this back and forth about Jesus' testimony, it is remarkable to me what actually got lost. The remarkable claim that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We know from John's gospel already at the very beginning, John disclosed to us about Jesus. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus is bringing light and life into a world of darkness and death. Think what life is yours in Christ. A life that will not be taken away. The life that means the Father owns you. He will not abandon you. He will receive you. He will vindicate you before the world as someone who belongs to His Son. 
sharing in his triumph. Have you seen the light? Or are you still in darkness? Brothers and sisters, you are not as this world is. You are not in the darkness. You have been freed in this world from living for what this world lives for. In a world of misunderstanding about Jesus, some of it's willful, some of it not, you've understood. You've believed. But not this crowd. They continue misunderstanding. Next, they misunderstand Jesus' saving mission. Number four, they misunderstand Jesus' saving mission. When this all began, we saw that Jesus knows where he come from and where he's going. The Pharisees did not. It happens again in verse 21. Jesus says, I'm going away. You'll seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So in saying this, he's saying something about himself and he's saying something about them. When he says he's going away, he's saying that in the sense that he will die. He will return to the Father. In seeking him, he means you will see the Messiah, but I'm the Messiah. And you will not see the Messiah. You will not when you seek him. Consequently, you will die in your sin. Now, what is their sin he's referring to? It's unbelief. They refuse to believe, to entrust themselves to Jesus. So, where he's going, they cannot come. The only way to where Jesus goes is through Jesus. They misunderstand his saving mission. He's just giving them here little by little. And to be clear, those that are asking questions of Jesus, they're not marked by faith, seeking, understanding. They're marked by unbelief. That leads to more misunderstanding. Jesus reveals and he conceals. And so, the, verse 22, the Jews don't understand. Will he kill himself? I think it's a strange question. I think it's a strange conclusion. This has already happened in John's gospel. Remember, he said he's going where they would not find him, and they thought he was referring to going to the dispersion to teach Gentiles or or Greeks. Now it's suicide. And there's an irony here. Jesus is not going to commit suicide, but he is willingly going to lay down his life. He will not do so in an act of desperation, but in an act of salvation. So with Jesus, the more that you entrust yourself to him, as you believe him, you understand him more. They don't understand him or what he's about. And I can't make sense of what he's saying, his claims, what he's teaching. Why is that? Because they don't even understand themselves. Verse 23, they are from below. They are of this world. Jesus is from above. He's not of this world. Notice by verse 24, three times Jesus has said, you will die in your sin or in your sins. I already told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The sin of unbelief leads to misunderstanding and is saving mission and it leads to sins. Why can't they go where Jesus is going? 
They're of this world. They're in their sins. Jesus goes to the heavenly world. They, in their sin, don't understand that the only way out of this world, out of dying in your sins, is by believing in Jesus. That's the only way to get where Jesus is going. It's what the saving mission is about. So what does it mean to be in this world from below? It means to be in your sin. It means to die in your sin. Uh, There are realities about this world, about ultimate things that we simply cannot get to unless God tells us. One is that we're born in sin and we'll die in our sin apart from Jesus. So before you can make sense of Jesus, Jesus must enable you to make sense of yourself. Understand who you are because we're not naturally kind of the way we think we are. We think we're decently good people. Jesus is saying sin's affected every part of us. He's coming into the world to deal with the deepest spiritual realities. When's the last time you as a Christian took the time to think of the deadly serious spiritual state Jesus saved you from? He's no less committed to you now. There is no reason in your Christian life to look backwards in order to dwell on guilt or to feel guilty. There is all the reason to look back to give praise to God for his grace and his faithfulness. Do you ever do that intentionally when that discontentment, hardness, and apathy start to swell up? I know as sure as I'm standing here that you're not what you should be. But as John Newton said so well, you're not what you were. Praise God, you are what you are. That's cause for thankfulness to Jesus. That's cause for your confidence. He's going to complete the work. You were in your sin. Because of Jesus, you didn't remain there. Jesus is very clear, isn't he? Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. I am he. I am he. This was a sophisticated Jewish crowd. I have no doubt they understood what he was saying as he was saying this. If you were to read all of Isaiah 40 to 55, Yahweh reveals himself again and again as the God who's not like the idols. He is the center of reality. And so we read things like this in Isaiah 41, 4. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first And with the last, I am he. Yahweh reveals to his people he is self-existent. In him is life. He's not made like the idols by human hands. He's independent. He's self-existent. This is the doctrine of aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Aseity. Ah, from, say, self. Aseity. God is from himself. We can't say that about ourselves. We're not from ourselves. God is. And Yahweh is showing his uniqueness, his exclusivity among the gods who summons the nations and will call them to answer to him for judgment. He does the same thing in Isaiah 43, verse 10. He stakes his deity on the fact that he, not the idols, plans, foretells the future, and what he says comes to pass. 
You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, remembers your sins no more. This is what I am he does for his name's sake. It's the kind of undeserved mercy and grace he gives to his people for his glory. And you could read Isaiah 46, 47, 48. And you would see this same language in those texts. It's with all of this meaning in the background, knowing this audience knows the Jewish scriptures, Jesus says, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. No mistaking what he's saying. He is God. It's no less than God of the flesh who's on this saving mission. The greatness of the mission is seen in the fact of the one who's carrying out and the great distance between the one carrying out and the one who it's being done for. Don't lose sight of who has come and the desperate state we were in when he's rescued us. And you feel this tension. You feel this confusion when they finally say to him in verse 25, who are you? Who are you? That's the question, isn't it? That's what they fundamentally misunderstand. Number five, they misunderstand Jesus. They misunderstand Jesus. He tells them, verse 25, exactly who I've been saying from the beginning. He's not revealing anything new here to them. And he says, verse 26, he has much to say about them and much to judge. He has much to say about this world, even if what he says is a word of judgment. He's disclosing who he is. He's, he's disclosing things about the world and our deficiency. And at the same time, he doesn't want to be misunderstood that he's speaking all of this on his own. He is revealing, declaring to the world everything the Father has given him. And yet, verse 27, they do not understand he's been speaking about the Father. So misunderstanding abounds. And so notice what he does in verse 28. To this crowd that misunderstands, He's telling them, beginning there, when the greatest moment of clarity will come. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. It's, it's ambiguous. But it's going to come into full clarity, Jesus says, when He goes to the cross. Of course, when He's lifted up, He will be exalted to glory but not before and only by way of his exaltation on the cross. On the cross, you will know, I am he. And he's not naive. He doesn't think that they're suddenly going to realize he's the son of God in the flesh. But he did understand that that is the answer to their question, who are you? On the cross, it comes into full view. 
do we fail to see the glory of our God who is most fully, most clearly seen at the cross? The cross is God's no to all human works and boasting and pride. The cross is God's eternal yes to humility and faith and the path of weakness. The cross is where we see the justice and the love of God in fullness, a love that will not overlook or minimize sin, but pays for it with blood. Have you forgotten what it means to be a gospel people? A people whose life and life together purchased by the cross. There's not one thing we can do to add to the cross. There's not one thing we can do to take away from the cross. Guard yourself fully from a cross plus mentality. Yes, yes, I'm accepted by the cross. But really, I know I'm in because of this. Now you can determine whether that kind of thinking has crept into your own heart. Think about when you think God is happy with you or not. If you're basting God's pleasure in you because I, you have a cross plus mentality. I don't want to go to church this week. I don't really feel like I'm doing too well with God. Horrible for the Christian. It's not based on you. Come because of Christ. It's the cross. What Christ has accomplished. That's what defines you. It's what frees you from ever thinking God loves you. Because I, every day of your life, because Christ, because Jesus gives you boldness when we worship. It's not the good week or the bad week or the the great morning or the terrible morning at home. It's not because of what you feel. It's because of what you know. You've been crucified with Christ. That's as real if you're trusting Christ as your physical birth. That's what gives you boldness to pray, to sing, to read the Bible, to gather, to enjoy God's love. Because Christ... Stands for you in heaven, not because you stand for you in heaven. The cross. Have you come to the cross? Have you understood Jesus? He didn't come into the world ultimately to to give a message or to set an example. He came ultimately, he's very clear, to die, to be lifted up. He came for people who, apart from his work on the cross, will die in their sins, who will not be able to go where he has gone. He was lifted up to die. But he didn't stay dead. He was lifted up from the grave and he ascended to heaven, the right hand of God, where he now rules the world with all authority. If you're not a Christian, I want you to understand who Jesus is. See him in all of his glory. Because I want you to turn from lesser glories, to see them for what they are, and to turn in faith to Jesus, to believe in him, to come out of darkness into light. In him is life. And the life is the light of men.
But for those who do not see who Jesus is, they do not see his glory on the cross, they will not misunderstand him any longer when he comes not to suffer, but to judge. The lamb who was slain will be seen as the lion who has conquered. The glory, the cross will be seen when he wears the crown. Who is Jesus? He's not a delusional man on a solo mission. I do nothing on my own authority, but just as the Father taught me. He's he's saying everything about me is from the Father. And the Father, verse 29, who sent him, is with him. He's not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So the cross is not the deviation from the plan. The cross is the plan. The cross is the will of the Father and the Son, planned and purposed before the Son's coming. Jesus at the cross reveals most clearly who he is, but doesn't he also reveal most clearly who and what this world is at the cross? Brothers and sisters, we're living in a world of darkness. Jesus comes as light whose greatest self-disclosure is at the cross. Boast and glory in the cross. And what Jesus accomplished there Our gospel is centered on the cross. Our church centered on the cross. The whole of our Christian life centered on, lived underneath the cross. And the Savior who died on the cross will never let you down. It's as Jesus was saying these things that we read in verse 30. Many believed in him. Now given what we've already seen in this gospel, only time will tell whether they are true believers or, like we've seen already, some who simply end up walking away. It's a confused world. Do not be confused about Jesus. Eternity hangs in the balance on whether you understand him or misunderstand him, and then whether you believe and find life in his name. Brothers and sisters in Christ alone, you have this life freely given to you by the Father through the Son. And so where Jesus is gone, you are destined to go.